Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. I've got an awesome guest today. I've got Kat Corchado. She is also an airman. She is also a podcaster. So we're going to highlight what she does, but we're going to talk about women veterans today. We'll bring her up here in a second. Before we get started, just remember to go like, subscribe, and follow. Not only to my podcast, to hers, you definitely want to give her a listen. Without further ado, welcome, Kat. Thank you, Keith. So nice to be here. Absolutely. I am I am glad to finally be face-to-face with you talking because I think we originally, we've talked a few times in Clubhouse. It seems like literally an eternity ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, like, oh, okay, finally we're going to have this conversation. We'll, we'll do it on the podcast. Um, and so I'm excited about it. But before we get going, tell us a little bit about yourself, what your military story was, uh, and kind of catch us, catch us up on who, who is Kat. Absolutely. I was actually born into the military. My dad was already in the Air Force when I was born. And I grew up as a military brat. And I thought that, you know, every four or five years you move, that's just what everybody did. I thought everybody did that. And it came time for me to graduate from high school. And I was already a single parent. And I kept thinking, what am I going to do? Because we're, you know, think back in the 70s. So I graduated in 75. And it was just difficult to figure out what I was going to do. And I thought, well, let me just go in the military for like four years. <laughs> let me guess. Uh, you get a little bit more than that. Just, just a little bit. And I, I had a trade. You know, I was able to take care of my son. I was able to take care of myself. And, you know, every time it was time to re-up, you know, my my son was either move, getting into another school. You know, you go from grade school to middle school or something was happening. And I thought, well, let me just do another four. Let me just do another four. Let me just do another four. And then I thought, holy crap, <laughs> I've done almost so, 20 years. Yeah, you blink and one of you wake you up. You blink, oh, gosh, exactly. Forever, huh? And so I've had the distinct pleasure of being a military brat, a military spouse, active duty military, and now veteran. Well, there's nobody better to pro- provide a little perspective on things than that. So what, what did you do in the Air Force then? I was a communications project manager. So I was the one who brought in all the communications equipment that would be needed in a building. However, one of my biggest projects was to bring about the communications backup system to NORAD in case NORAD ever went down. And I think, you know, if NORAD goes down, we're all, we're all screwed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool, though. You know, it's amazing when you stop and think, I don't care who you are, where you served in the military, what branch, what job. If you really think about it, we do some really cool stuff. We really See do. some really cool, neat stuff, uh, adventures, all that. You know, if you, if you just take the time to look at the perspective of it. Well, you get to see some cool stuff, especially like NORAD. I actually got to go TDY to Colorado Springs and walk inside NORAD. And I thought, holy crap, I had no idea this was, it's like a tiny city within this mountain. And it was just phenomenal. That would and be I'll, really I'll never forget that. That was, uh, that was one of the places I was like, you know, we, we wouldn't be upset if I got to see that. That'd be cool. You know? It was very I was, cool. I was security forces and I never, I never served in the, in the nuke fields, but that was one place I didn't want to go. <laughs> <laughs> You know, why not, why not, where you're freezing for a reason. Right. Most of my tech school class ended up going to the nuke fields. And I remember sitting there, they're passing out all these orders. And there's like six of us sitting by. We're like, where's our orders? You know, where, where's the Air Force sending us? And, and you're like, surprise. Getting, I was one of like six that got overseas. And I'm like, I don't know how I got so lucky. I just, I got you coded Japan. Everybody else is headed to Minot or Barksdale or yeah, my husband was is actually a veteran, and he was the one who inspected those. That was his first job. Yeah, oh he said goodness. it. Yeah, what a Wyoming. Serious. Oh man, you're <laughs> getting flashbacks. <laughs> that, would, that would suck. I mean, my duty stations were Dakota, Japan, and Scott Air Force Base. I could not mm-hmm. imagine just. Well, I guess I can kind of imagine. I'm from the Midwest, you know, where we have a lot of cornfields, just never-ending cornfields. Um, so I guess I can imagine the vastness of nothing out there in Montana and Wyoming and stuff, but there's a lot of it out there, according to my husband. But it's funny you said Scott Air Force Base because I'm very familiar with Scott. My dad's last duty station was Scott Air Force Base. 
And so my mother actually lives in, okay, y'all ready? Muscuta, Illinois. She actually still lives there. <laughs> my my mother-in-law retired out of there. Met my wife down there. Uh, she um, she lived in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm still down there every now and then. Yeah, very familiar with that area. area down there. Love it. Love it down there. So I'm actually a couple hours north there. I'm about halfway between there and Chicago right now where I'm at. So, but, uh, you know, we're, we're here to talk about women veterans. I was just telling you a few minutes ago, um, I'm probably not the best person to, to provide perspective on it. I, I know, I mean, throughout security forces, throughout my time in the Air Force, served with a lot of women. Shout out to all the ladies I served with. Um, still got a great connection with a lot of them. Um, I've always heard perspective like, oh, it must suck with work with women or women are weak or whatever. I'll tell you what, there were some badass women I were. I served, <laughs> you know, and then people would be like, well, do you trust them? Uh, yeah, I trusted the women. You know what? There's guys I didn't trust. Exactly. You know? And I, I, you know, it didn't matter to me who, who had my back, you know, being, being security forces, it was law enforcement. Like there was women that did, I didn't trust. There was men I didn't trust and vice versa. So, um, but that's, I think I'm, it depends on the person. Whether they're male or female, oh, yeah. whether you trust them or not. Yeah. yeah. I, I had one, um, I was a supervisor for, for, for a young lady and she was, if she was five foot tall, I'd be surprised, right? That was probably with boots on. Um, she was a feisty little girl. And I know on our second deployment, she was our, our uh, gunner and her Humvee. And, uh, you know, I thought crossed my mind. I'm like, I'm a big guy. You know, I was about 225 at the time. I'm a little bit more than that now. And I'm like, is she going to be able to pull me out of the seat? And, you know, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, she has probably like, <laughs> she, she was, you know, she, she was a good troop for a supervisor, but she would cause you some, some problems every now and then. There was no quitting that girl. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, you know, with, without a doubt, you know, and then all in, yeah, all in, all in had, had my back, you know, never, Never once had a thought, especially in law enforcement, like somebody's literally got to have your back, you know. Yes. All kinds of situations, and but uh, anyway, you know, doing this podcast and diving into the veteran-related stuff and conversations on Clubhouse and other stuff, you know, there's a lot of issues in the veteran community when it comes to women, and that's why I was really excited to talk to you about this because, like, I've I've got a glimpse, maybe, you know, I can't, obviously, I can't relate. But I know that there's issues with women being harassed going to the VA, uh, identity, the things you you know you kind of highlighted and talk about identity recognition transition, you know, and I was like, it's genius because there's there's a lot of issues there. So I just want to start and get your thoughts. Uh, well, first of all, let's let's just back up and go go into your podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. It's Absolutely. Just well, my podcast came about because I'm gonna I'm gonna flashback. I got out of the military over 22 years ago. And I'm sure that there were organizations out there to help veterans, but I did not know about them. And so I like to tell the story that, you know, if you're a sports fan and it's that it's draft day, you know, and the, and the college, that college first round draft pick, that's what I felt like coming out of the military. And I trotted out there and had my DD-214 in my hand and walked outside Now I'm expecting balloons and music and confetti and organizations throwing money at me, come, come work for us. And I walked outside and it was quiet. And I thought, wow, do I have the wrong day? What's going on? And I proceeded to walk forward and I did this free fall and I didn't know what was happening. It was just this black hole type of thing. And you know, I said, let me just keep my cool and see what was happening because no one talked about this. No one talked about transition. And if they did, it was like, oh, it's great. It's this, you know, they didn't talk about this part of it. Yeah. Welcome and, to the other side. Like it's all sunshine and rainbows over here. Right. So think of, you know, for 10 of my 20 years of being in the service, I fantasized about being a civilian, what it's going to be like, all the things I could do all the things I could talk about, all the, you know, the, that type of thing. And you get out there and none of that matters because you're in this, this hole, you're in this space. And what I realize now is that we all go through it, but I think women go through it a little bit more is you mourn your service. So you're straddling between the civilian world and the military world, and you don't fit in either one. And so you have to find 
your you have to ground yourself you have to find your get your feet on the ground to say okay i'm not a military person i will be civilian what what do i need to know to be in this world because you forget you know in the military it's all about you know service it's about get the mission done you know they don't care if you like the person you're with or not they're like look just get it done and you do and when you become a civilian it's a little bit different because no one what i found is that there are a lot of people out there who don't care that you served and there are a lot of people who don't want to hear about your service uh that's a that's a good point and the world doesn't work with you know the buckle down work as a team communicate get things done like that corporations just don't work that way they they just it, don't it, get it's it as hell. <laughs> yes there's there's no culture and all the organizations went, oh, we, you know, we hire veterans, but there's no veteran culture. And some, and in some instances, it's actually toxic to the veteran. And so it's just really, you know, when you do your transition, I always talk, tell people to, you know, two years out at a minimum, start to know who you are when you no longer can put the uniform on. And so if I met you, Keith, and you had just gotten out of the military and I'd say, Keith, tell me about yourself. You're not Sergeant, you're not PFC, you're not Captain, you're not Lieutenant. You are now civilian Keith McKeever. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. I've said for a long time, I think what I've noticed talking to people, those that serve like four years and get out, obviously the transition stuff, because let's face it, you go in, officer or enlisted, you go through boot camp or training, you go through, you know, you go through all that, you're fully indoctrinated into military culture. You do four years, you get out, it's difficult. But the people who've done 20, 25, 30 years, mm -hmm. that is a vast, overwhelming majority of your life. You just don't know any different. Like, what is civilian? I could spell it. I, I, I know. know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been out 10 years and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, it's like some things... Point blank, some things are just going to be difficult. You're just going to just be frustrated sometimes. Be like, why does it work this way? Yes. Why does nobody care? Why does nobody have pride in the way they show up, the way they work, being on time? Uh, I go to certain things, and I'm usually the person in the room for the meeting. You're probably early, aren't you? I just or on time. <laughs> try to be I'm better at it, but you know, five to ten minutes early. Mm -hmm. I think nowadays a lot of people think that being a few minutes early, and there was a study actually, they said, they polled some people about what do you think being a few minutes early is? And they said anywhere between five minutes and 60 minutes. <laughs> Interesting. I thought so. Well, I, you know, yeah, it's still stuck in my head. If. If you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Absolutely. Even my dad, we would go on road trips and my dad would say, if you're not in the car at 0800, you're getting left behind. Now, I'm not sure he would have gone through with that. But, you know, as a child, you're like, no, you're not leaving me. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm even like that still to this day. It's like, no, 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 there's, there's time. Like, it has to be done on time. Like, and it's difficult. It, it just takes time. Some of those things you learn you may never unlearn. You just kind of got to learn how to navigate the system. It's just part of who you are. I've, I've figured out that it's part of who I am, of being on time or being, you know, I'm usually 10, 15 minutes early or very much on time, one or the other. And it's just, you know, my husband on the other end, bless his heart, he's always late. But, you know, we navigate that together. So he understands, you know, that, that I start to, I get like this. I'm like, if we're going to be late to something. So he, he gets it. <laughs> I have, I have a real problem with, cause my wife is that way. She'll, you know, she'll take a little extra time, run late, no big deal. Like, but I'll get it in my mind. If we have to be somewhere at five o'clock, it's already stuck deep in my mind. We have to be there at four forty-five. Right. And I'm like, right, yes. I get there, but I want to leave with an extra five minutes early just to, you know, and so, like, in my mind, if we're not out of here by 4, to get there for a 20, 25-minute drive to get there at 445, you know, if you're doing the math, it's not adding up, you know, <laughs> like, I start getting frustrated. 
Yes. And it's like, our right, time to go. It's time to go. We're behind. We're late. We're and late. Yes. You're actually getting to the point where you will be late. <laughs> the more it bothers me even more. <laughs> I know. And it doesn't happen all the time. I found a trick for the, all the people out there to have to deal with a partner like that. You just, I hate to say it, but you lie to them. If you got to be somewhere at five and you need to leave at four thirty, tell them you need to be there at four. <laughs> <laughs> that does work. Actually, yeah, I've tried that on my husband. It does work. <laughs> we're leaving at three thirty. Really? That seems more early. No, no what we're doing. <laughs> then you got to send a reminder and alarm clock. Anyway, okay, it's not that serious. <laughs> uh, there's, there's there's definitely a lot of a lot of issues there. So, um, so that all that all is what led to starting the podcast for you then? Yes, it was. Well, like I was saying, you know, you flash forward 20 years and women were still talking about how hard transition was. And I'm like, and I thought, wait, we haven't fixed this yet, but now you've added in, you know, now we're openly talking about PTSD. We're openly talking about military sexual trauma, all of this getting lumped in together. And I really wanted a safe place for women to be able to talk about these things because in the military they sort of kind of don't want to hear about it and then you get out and civilians don't care well some of them don't care but i wanted to be able to have this place for women to be able to to share their story because one person listening it might help them and then i i kind of opened it up and me being you know a military brat and then a military spouse i thought well when one person in the family's in the military the entire family's in the military and so i've opened it up to military spouses military brats and even veteran service organizations that i think do a great job in helping veterans and so that's that's where my podcast started that's awesome you know you have a good obviously a perfect perspective on it, but if, even if you would never have served those people that never do, but just are military brats themselves, your, your life's different. Not everybody moves every four years, you know, and, and all those different things and the things that you have to deal with and, you know, got, got outside and play and, you know, you hear Reveille and retreat and yes. <laughs> cars are stopping and people are stopping and saluting, you know, like it's just a different, uh, different experience to, to grow up as a military brat. I didn't, but you know, mm-hmm. you drive around I, so you see all that. And I miss being on a base. I miss that. Every time I go to a base, like I'll go and see my mom at Scott Air Force Base and I get on base and I'm like, yes, it just feels like home to me. And it's because, you know, I was a military brat, you know, even now, if I've been somewhere for a while, I'm, I'm looking at my husband going, it, it's time to, it's time to move, right? <laughs> Where are we going next? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Cause, um, yeah, military is really good at that moving people around, which is good. You know, you don't want to get stuck in one place too long. But Absolutely. I think one of the things that I'd love to talk about is identity for women veterans and, you know, regardless of how long you served, you get out and women are less likely to wear all the paraphernalia, you know, the hat, the t-shirt. We're more inclined to do it now, but back, you know, when I got out, you you just didn't do that, you know, you didn't, I didn't know that putting my veteran status out there was something to do. And I didn't really speak about it because I retired in uh, South Carolina, uh, Charleston Air Force Base actually. And we moved to Massachusetts where, you know, the, the furthest, the closest base was five hours away. And I didn't really talk about it. People kind of knew, oh, you know, you were in the military, great. And then 9-11 happened. And I remember going to the supermarket and there were people who were selling these flags, you know, to show their support for the survivors and those that, that didn't survive in, in 9-11. And the guy selling the flags asked me, do you want to buy a flag? And I said, no. And he said, why not? What have you done for your country? And I said, I did 20 years for my country. And then I thought, why am I hiding? Why am I not expressing the fact that I'm a veteran? And it was a common theme, theme among women. And so we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where I am now. And I thought, well, let me, let me go to these veteran networking events, these veteran coffees and lunches. 
And I went there, and if there were 100 people there, 95 of them would be men. And there'd be five women there. And I thought, where are the rest of them? I know there's more. And they just weren't really coming out and, and talking about, um, I'm going to steal a word from one of our, a woman veteran, you know, she calls it veterancy. Why aren't they expressing their veterancy? Why aren't they talking about it? And, you know, even when you're wearing the t-shirt or the hat or whatever, there's still people who don't understand what you did or why you did it. And I've been told I don't look like a veteran, although I'm not really sure what that means because there's no picture in the dictionary that says woman veteran here. Yeah. Go on to um, any base and take a snapshot of the people under. You'll find the most diverse organization in the world. Yeah, right. What, is, what does a veteran look like? I, I don't know. And most of the time when I get confronted by these people, they're, you know, I'll say things like, well, obviously you didn't serve. Well, no, I didn't. But my father, my grandfather, my uncle, you know, and kind of goes there. Or even people in their own families don't see them as veterans because they were desk jockeys. They didn't fight in a war. And, you know, I was in Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And even though I didn't deploy, I was in support of. There were all kinds of, you know, communications equipment that that I was planning for, you know, in support of. And so that's part of it too. But I think sometimes even women don't, they, they think, well, I didn't deploy, so maybe I'm not a veteran. I think there's a general uh, identity issue there between veteran, combat veterans and non-combat veterans. Because I've seen that play out uh, here in my local area. I do some volunteering with the Honor Flight Network, taking the veterans to D.C. And I've talked to guys, and they're like, I'm not going to sign up. And it's like, why not? You know, you're a Korean War era veteran or Cold War Vietnam War, whatever. Well, I never deployed. I never was over there. And it's like, so there was still a job to do here. Exactly. I, idle. And I just, I, I just told somebody the other day, do a random conversation. I said, look, it's if the if the airplane's not guarded against threats, and it's not fueled up, and the pilots don't get good sleep, and they don't get a full belly at the chow hall, right? And the maintenance guys didn't put a good set of tires on it the plane doesn't fly you know exactly there's something bad happens right and that plane has to fly the supplies and the re reinforcements and stuff like that to the combat zone you know we all play an integral part a part I, yes I it's a team part. effort but even when i wasn't deployed we had team members that were deployed and you knew you know being back home like okay i'm not deployed right now they're doing the job but i'm doing my job back here holding on the fort doing what we do yes you know we're all part of a team but not everybody looks at it like that and and that baffles me sometimes you know because now i'm i'm loud and proud <laughs> like yes i am a veteran what do you want to know <laughs> my argument to the people who didn't like especially like cold war era or sometimes in you know roughly in your era especially those sort of served in the 80s or the 90s or mm -hmm. after Desert Storm, like, well, I didn't deploy, I didn't go anywhere. Okay, but we weren't attacked at that point in time either. We weren't, you know, you did your job and we were safe. That's, you did your job. You did your job, yes, absolutely. You know, honorably, honorably. <laughs> you were standing watch and we didn't get hit. You know, unfortunately, no, on 9-11, we got hit. You know, we got sucker punched. We got hit right square in the jaw. It's It sucked as a nation. We all remember what that pain is. But, right. you know, that's that's happened once, you know, because we've had people mm -hmm. stand there to, to answer the call. So that's that's kind of the line I always get people like, you did serve. You know, don't, yeah. don't credit your service. You signed on the dotted line. You made sacrifices. You got paid for your bumps and bruises and blood, sweat, and mm -hmm. tears, too. So... Well, I think the identity thing for women is, you know, the, the whole transition process is different for women than it is for men. And I will, I will stand up to that to anyone because think of it this way. So you have dual military, you know, the, the, the husband goes to do his job, the wife goes to do her job, but when she comes home, she still has another job when she gets home. So when you think about transition, you know, the, 
the men can go and they they network and everything. But when a woman gets out, she's more likely to be a single parent. So now she has to find schools. She has to find babysitting. She has to find a job. What is if she's relocating? She has to find a house. Who has time to say, oh, hey, I'm a veteran over here. And that's the last thing on your mind. And then finally, when you get your feet on the ground and and you've got things, things are running smoothly, or maybe in some instances, not so smoothly because women are more likely than men to be homeless coming out of the military. And then you look around and you think, wow, where are the other veterans? And so that's when you start to think, that's where you get this feeling of, of being alone. And, and you know, you wanna be part of that team again. Everybody wants to be part of that team. But when you get out, it's it's you, 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 and you. You know, I always tell people, they're saying, are you entrepreneur? And I go, yeah. They go, do you have a team? I go, yeah, me, myself, and I. That's my team. <laughs> you, you have some good points, you know. Well, I think when it comes to identity, too, you have to look at the numbers. Uh, I think I had read somewhere. I'm just going to say about 17%, something like that, 15 to 17% of the force. Um, last year, year before, something like that was better was women mm-hmm. that's still a lot still a lot of women if you put it you know calculate the numbers of that but it's not a huge percentage and those women all get out and like you said you show up and there's a hundred people in the room and there's only five that are women if you look at the numbers sad to say it's probably pretty good attendance you know for five percent to show up so you know i think the problem is that when you do the network, and a lot of times women come to networking because there's there's an issue, there's a problem, either with housing, with a job, with something in particular. And it's a very difficult situation to be able to talk about those things with all of these men present because they don't understand that situation. They're like, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just go here? And, and it's it's not that simple. And so to be able to connect with other women veterans, talking with them one-on-one, finding out what, you know, what are they dealing with and being able to say, okay, I know about this organization. I think it would be great giving them that warm handoff. So if I said, Keith, oh, I've got someone great for you, call this person. Well, you don't know who they are. You've never met them. But if we got on a Zoom call together and I said, Keith, I want you to meet this person. I think they'd be able, you know, you'd be great, you know, and you guys are vibing. Then I can back out of the picture. That's a warm handoff. And I think that's what veterans need is, you know, not just calling somebody that you don't know, although you can, but it's that warm handoff. It's just like when you have a resume and you send your resume to organization, I don't think resumes get you jobs. I just don't, especially for veterans. I feel that it's who you know in your network, other veterans to say, you know what? I know somebody who'd be perfect for you. Let's connect. Oh, there's definitely something to, it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. Absolutely, especially when you're a veteran. <laughs> somebody, you know, just something like that, you know, where that's where I think a lot of people would say that's, that's how people in general tend to get the good jobs. No matter if you're a veteran or not, you just know somebody who knows somebody. Somebody puts yes. a word for you and you kind of skirt the line on there or you put the right thing to get your resume at the top of the list or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think it's veterans helping veterans. I think that's where where we are going to excel. And I think now other organiz- civilian organizations are realizing that and they want in. Like, hey, you know, we like veterans too. We like to, you know, hire veterans. But, you know, I, I always ask the question, you know, when you're in the interview and the interviewer says, do you have any questions for me? And we go, no, you know, and you shake hands and you leave. Now I'm telling veterans to say, or to ask the question, is there a veteran culture? How many veterans have been hired? What's the ratio of male to female veterans? If they have never hired a veteran, you're going in there at your own risk. Darn good point. And people do need to realize an interview is an interview. It can go both ways. Yes. You need to make sure that you're you're finding the right fit. I mean, I, 
I just finished my bachelor's degree in business. And that was a lot of talk about just like culture and fit and, and a lot of those things in business. And it was like, Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot to that. I mean, I've been self-employed for years. I would have never really thought about those kind of things as a veteran trying to go get a job. But I didn't. I mean, I'd want (laughs) connection to the community or a community is huge. And it's one of the things I've noticed as a podcaster and people I've talked to is there's other issues, but that's one of them. A lack of connection to the veteran community is one of those risk factors that leads people down the road of homelessness, suicide, or substance abuse, or multiple of those. You need some sort of connection. I know I've connected with some people on some Facebook groups online. It made a world of difference in my mindset. I just got, I have people. Yeah, they might be on the other side of the screen, but I have people. On you have Facebook people, yeah. We know, like, and trust each other. We have similar experiences. And you can reach out to them at a moment's notice. Well, when I speak to women veterans, I tell them, or not women veterans, but active duty military, and I will tell them, get connected with organizations prior to getting out. Like, don't just, oh, I'm part of this group. Be involved with the group because you never know where your next job is coming from. It could come from a face, someone in Facebook that you, you connected with. It could come from somewhere in, in LinkedIn or an organization you connected with in LinkedIn. And so there's so many things out there that you don't know. And I want to you know educate some of these women that are starting to come out of the military and saying, look, this is what you have. Because the problem with when I got out, there was nothing. And the difference now is that there's everything. So it's like drinking from a fire hose. And when you have too many choices, what do you do? You don't do anything. You stand still because you don't know what to pick. And so you want to take enough time to go through some of those organizations, say, wow, I like that one, that one, that one. And I tell people, get two organizations and look them up. What are their websites like? And I think transition is also something that should be talked about the entire time you're in your career. It shouldn't just be a one and done. You should have a plan from the day you go in. Uh, quite honestly, especially. Yes. Oh, absolutely. But who does who does that? <laughs> That'd be my advice to any young. Tra- I used to ask that at the end of my podcast, but to kind of cut time down a little bit, I kind of stopped asking those questions. But I would ask people like what one piece of advice you'd ask give somebody going in the military. It kind of came up a lot. And so I've said it like you need to plan when you go in. Choose your job carefully. Choose your branch carefully, right? Mm-hmm. Know who you are, what's going to work for you. But take advantage of those education benefits. Take advantage of the on-the-job training. Rack up those accomplishments. Yes. Know that resume. Because your time will be up. It might be four years, six, eight, 10, 20. And it goes by fast. Yeah, I was it goes by fast. It was just like, I realized the other day, I'm like, man, I've been, I'm very quickly approaching twice as long in my career in real estate as I was in the military. Yes. And it's like, wow, this doesn't seem like it. Life, life in general blows you, blows by fast. So yes, it does. So there's a, there's definitely a lot of stuff there. Um, and I get that identity stuff. So what, what's your thoughts on recognition and the recognition that women are getting then or not getting? I think recognition for women who are active duty first is, is getting there. You're starting to see these women break these glass ceilings, things that you never thought you would see. Like for me, when I was in to see a high ranking uh, woman officer, female officer was just like, you know, you're sitting, you're in the corner whispering like, oh, do you see the woman officer? You know, it was like very cool. But I think we need more of that up in Washington. I think we need to see more women making those decisions and and sitting in with the brass, as my dad used to say, and and helping make those decisions. Now, once you get out of the military, I think it's helping women veterans. So the women who have been out, like I have, helping those women veterans and you know taking a hand back and pulling them along, saying, come on, I'll help you. I know, I know I've been this road, you know, I don't know everything, but I'm going to help. And there are a lot of organizations out there now, like Veterati, you know, Veterati has mentorship now where you can just pick the mentor and, 
you know, talk to them. You can pick as many mentors as you want. And I'm one of the mentors on Veterati because I wish I'd had something like that. Absolutely. I, I signed up myself and uh, I've talked, I've had conversations with two different guys that have reached out. Somebody added me the other day is an advisor or something like that. And I was like, I don't even remember talking to this guy. Hey, <laughs> whatever. Talk to anybody. I'm, I'm a hell of a talker. I mean, that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> right. I, I know I have a shirt that says just a girl who likes to talk. <laughs> you nothing know wrong with it. At least you know myself. But you, know, you kind of said something about the glass ceiling. And my first thought was, you know, breaking down barriers, showing people a path forward as Air Force veterans. I love the fact that right now, if you look at the Air Force leadership, you know, our top general is a black man. And we have a woman as the chief master sergeant of the Air Force. Yes. A couple of firsts. And when I saw those news break on that, I'm like, this is awesome. And an outsider's perspective is, it seems like the troops that are serving now absolutely love these two. Like there is real respect. Like they are real leaders. That's just my perspective. What I'm seeing on the outside looking in. And it's like, that's, that's, that's awesome. Because I can't say that it's always been the case that you've got leaders up there that everybody seems to have a respect for. And you have respect for the rank. But, well, uh, yeah, you uh, have to you uh, have to respect the rank. <laughs> like, in this case, like I said, outsider's perspective, it seems mm -hmm. like a lot of troops that are still serving in the Air Force have a, a respect both ways. And that's a big deal. You know, Absolutely. that that's a big deal. And I think along the lines of, you know, the women and, and some men who are dealing with sexual harassment and military sexual trauma, I think it's imperative that we have women in these high-ranking positions, you know, to be able to change put policy and change the culture and put policy in place to protect these people, you know, the ones that are, you know, that it happens to them, but they're they're in command doesn't they're like okay whatever and and they move the perpetrator to another base and you're like oh well that helps. Yeah. And so I, I think we're making strides in that direction. And I'm so happy to see that happen because when I was in, like I said, you know, a female general, yeah, good luck. You know, a female full burr colonel, yeah, good luck. Not that it didn't happen then, I wasn't privy to it. So where I was stationed, meaning I didn't hear about it and I didn't see it. So for all those women out there that you were a Fulbright colonel or higher, <laughs> I'm not taught, I didn't get to see you, so I'm sorry, but I just, I didn't get a chance to see that. But it's, it's wonderful to see these changes that are being made and changes in the uniform. You know, women are in, in the military, especially in the Air Force, they can have their ponytails and it's hanging down, you know, and, and it, it just warms my heart when oh, I see. Was, I've seen so much backlash on that when I think the army released, uh, relaxed their standards a little bit too, if I remember right. Um, so much stuff on TikTok and, and other social media. And it's like, why do you really care how a woman wears her hair? You know, what, the only time it matters, just like a guy's facial hair, you know, does it matter if you're wearing a gas mask? Does it matter if it affects your job or the safety of doing your job? Then maybe that you should you know, do something. Like right. You know? <laughs> yeah, if it's a safety issue, absolutely. I would want to put my hair up, you know, but it, it, you know, I just came back from Norfolk, Virginia, and I was at the um, Joint Women Leadership Symposium and seeing all these women from the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Coast Guard and Space Force and seeing them in uniform. And it, it just warmed my heart, you know, to see this. And I thought, oh, I want to put the uniform on. And then I thought, no, nah, it probably won't fit. <laughs> So let's just yeah. mix that. Well, that happens about 90% of us. It's weird. It like happened next week, you know? <laughs> Take that uniform off. Next week it doesn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just love the changes that are happening. There are, you know, panels that, that they're talking about these issues. And, and it's nice to hear. Because back in the day, they would just shove stuff under the rug and leave it alone. And now they're they're openly talking about all of this, and it you know it doesn't matter like you know we were talking earlier, it doesn't matter who you're serving next to, if they have your back they have your back, period, and that's all you want, that's all you need, yeah. And you know it's hard being an individual in the military, 
because you all look the same, wearing the same uniform. But, you know, that's where your personality comes out. That's where you start to be more of a people person and and really, and especially as a supervisor, to, to really see the people that you're supervising, not just as your subordinates, but as people that are helping you on your team. Absolutely. That's how I like to think about it. Well, speaking of subordinates, and, and you mentioned military sexual trauma earlier. We've kind of hit on culture toxic leadership, stuff like that. I see a lot of stuff on TikTok and I've had a couple of guests come on my show and talk about military sexual trauma and their experiences. It's absolutely sickening. And it's sickening to sit there and see the leadership just turn a blind eye, protect somebody. And on one hand, I understand that there's a mission. The mission has to happen but they're not taking care of the people. You take care of the people, the mission happens even more f- efficiently and everybody gets along and, and it's better. But some of these stories that I hear, it's just the, the hoops that they have to go through, the, the stigmas, the name calling, the perceptions that they have around the unit. Um, it's just, that sucks. And I think back to, to my time in and I'm like, I, I had female troops. I had one that had a, I guess we'll say a mental breakdown can never figure out why never got to the bottom of it. Nothing like that ever came up. And all these years later, as these stories kind of come out and it's more, more mainstream it's more talked about, I can't help but sit back and think what happened. Yes. What takes a troop that was, I'm not going to call her a, you know, high speed, low drag troop, you know, but this, this individual, she, she was okay. You know, she was learning, kind of new, and uh, and all of a sudden to have a mental breakdown for no known reason, you know. And then as a supervisor, they're looking at me like, "What happened?" I don't know. You know, she never she never opened up and told me. But then I'm a I'm a male supervisor, right? And she's not going to open up to you, exactly. And yeah. I'm like, I can't help but to think, and I have no idea where this person's at right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, protecting their identity and all that stuff. But it's it's like, wow, this is a uh, you know. I, I can't help but to wonder if that happened or to wonder all the women I worked with, how prevalent was that even in the units I served in? And I didn't even know how much of that was happening right under my nose. And you had no idea that they never said anything. They never even, the, how about those that never even shown any indication mm-hmm. non-verbally or anything, that anything was wrong. It's I how, truly believe so, that, you know, just pressed on with their life and not say anything. And right. That's sickening. I think that there should be an independent someone, probably female, who is familiar with the military. Maybe you was in the military at some point. Now they're a civilian. That when something like this happens, that this person is is someone that these women can go to. Like they like if it happened at a base, this woman would go to this base. She would do this independent review or whatever, talk to all the individuals, and then report right back to Washington, not to the commander of the base or the commander of the squadron, but goes right back to Washington. This is what I see. This is this is what happened. There should definitely be another mechanism. It should be taken out of commander's hands. Yes, absolutely. The accusation, you know, isolate that. I'm not saying you put that person immediately in jail, but isolate the people, figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. Get both sides mental health help, mm-hmm. right? Because I, even if you're the accused person, you didn't do anything wrong. You're being accused of some stuff, right? right? Get the people physical and mental health, separate them. Because I've heard stories of that where, you know, guard and reserve, and then the, the next weekend they're there, they walk into the unit, they've got an order of protection on the civilian side against this individual, and they have to work two. And they have to work together. Yes, I've heard those stories too, you know, and that's just horrific. Oh, I been around some toxic leadership on my time in but that's that's a whole different level of toxicity uh, but yeah if there was an independent something that would come down mm-hmm. one person or a group of people that would investigate a group of yes. individuals with d- different backgrounds race uh men and women you know that could look at it from the outside maybe some active military some veterans maybe some civilians i don't know you know maybe a small panel that just takes all these and says we're going to investigate this from, you know, we're going to look at it from the outside. 
we want everybody separated. We want, you know, this, that, and the other. But no doubt about it, some sort of reform has to happen. Right. Because now, you know, depending on how much time the person has in service, if they're getting ready to get out, they just separate them. You know, like, oh, we'll just let you retire early and keep your rank. You know, that's how I've heard of instances of where that's happened, or they just relocate the person to another base. They don't tell whomever what's going on. They're just like, oh, let's PCS you and you're, you know, you're no longer my problem. You're that person's problem over there. So, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and not that I have any sway over anybody, but I think something, something needs to happen Yeah, like that. I know. I truly I'll believe that. One of the ladies I had on my show who told her story, her name's Tori. It was uh, for the first season. Um, she talked very highly of the guy who, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the acronym in the Air Force, the, the sexual assault response court, SARC, uh, SARC, SHARP, whatever it was, mm -hmm. uh, what, whatever the Army version was. Um, but he like flew down the next, like the next day, you know, and was available by phone call, an advocate for her 100%. You know, and it's like, that that was comforting like out of the whole terribleness of the story at least there was somebody there that had her back absolutely i think that you know to backtrack i don't want to say that you know there aren't instances where there there is never any support there are lots of instances where there are where there is support for this for for women and men that this happens to but when you know, you keep hearing those stories, those horror stories of you went to go do the right thing and you got backlash for it. And those are the stories that I don't want to hear anymore because they don't exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, you, you got the, the military units that handle the su support, right? And hopefully people are getting their support. But there is something for outside of the military channels. Yes. Because it can't be swayed. Exactly. <laughs> and mines are maybe even something that's volunteer, where you have a, a, a volunteer service where people have to be vetted and stuff to get into it. But, you know, no monetary, anything, just a volunteer to listen, provide counseling, whatever. Because that's that's the worst part. You know, you're, you're violated by a team member. You have toxic leadership. Now people are talking about you behind your back. How do you continue on with that career? There's no safe, safe space for that person. You know what I mean? You can't go to the dorm. You can't go if you're living on base. You know, there's no safe place for you. And that that can end up to be tragic. Yeah. Well, there's the mental health aspect of the two. I mean, that, trace, that follows you for the rest of your life. Every victim of military sexual trauma uh, or rape on the civilian side even. I mean, that's something that follows you for the rest of your life. Yes. You, you know. So that's uh, I, I, I 100% agree. There should be something. Maybe we'll just cross our fingers. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just send this after I release. I'll just send it to all the politicians. <laughs> be like, listen to us. Listen to Keith and Kat. Okay. <laughs> we need you to do this. Well, when you talked about being on TV, and I just, I want to backtrack again. I know I said that once. But a lot of the identity problems is whenever there's something about veterans, whether it's Veterans Day or, or whatever, you never see women on TV. And, I, and I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I went to all the networks and I said, hey, Women Veterans Day is June 12th. What do you guys plan on doing? You know, are you going to parade? What, 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 what's happening? And I got crickets, nothing. And when it's Veterans Day, and I look for this stuff now, and I look to see if there are, you know, going to be a woman featured or just a picture of a woman, something, but I don't see anything. And that's, and I think that's part of the identity problem because when people get used to seeing us women as veterans on television, then I think the identity problem is going to probably go down a little bit, that it's going to kind of dissipate. Well, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, the more, um, just just the more awareness. Yes. Where you're used to repetitively seeing something like that. Because as you say that, and I'm like, you're right. And I'm like, where do I see women veterans? Well, the VFW and the Legion magazine, I see women veterans in there. You know, I see them in the Facebook groups, but I'm a veteran. 
Yeah, exactly. You're you're programmed to see that. (laughs) Do civilians see like what, you know, it's hard to say, you know, what, what their perspective is because you and I aren't going to see it that way. Yeah, that's true. But I think, you know, civilians are looking for something and I I don't even know what it is. You know, both my husband and I are, are veterans, but you know, if we walk up to someone and my husband, a bless his heart, will say, yes, we're, we're retired military. And all of a sudden, all these questions, oh, what did you do? And blah, blah, blah. And my husband will say, she's the, she's the retiree. And then it's like, oh, thank you for your service. And you're like, what? You can ask me the same questions, you know, and that, that's the other thing. Okay. One of my pet peeves. I, I've heard, I've heard this before the direction you're going. So <laughs> thank you for your service. Okay. It's Honestly, it's very dismissive. It, you know, if it's if you don't have time to speak to the veteran, I get it. Just say thank you for your service. At least mean it. Don't just say it. But if you have time, say thank you for wearing the uniform. Because you know what that says to the veteran? It says that you understand the sacrifice that I made by wearing the uniform. And that's so much more meaningful to say thank you for wearing the uniform. I even say it to other veterans. Thank you for wearing the uniform. I think it's important. Yeah. So okay. I'm sorry. Okay, and now I'm gonna get off my soapbox. <laughs> like Vietnam veterans, we all—it's highly publicized. You know what? What Vietnam veterans came home to? I've gotten to the point that uh, when I see a Vietnam veteran, I, I always go up and I I say, "Welcome home." Absolutely. You know, like glad to have you back. You know, and just something. But yeah, that thank you for your service. It just feels so empty. Doesn't it though? And it's like, what do you say back? And I heard somebody say once, well, thank you for your support. Well, that almost Mm -hmm. feels empty going back. (laughs) Thank you for your support. You know, sometimes I catch myself be like, well, you know, most of it was a pleasure. You know? Yeah. You get a weird look and it's like. But I think there's no question when you say thank you for wearing the uniform, it's very direct. It's very complimentary. And both people understand what's being said. Thank you for for your service. Okay, wh- what service? <laughs> Which service yeah. are you talking? You know what I mean? It's it's very general. Yeah, there's so. a lack of um, genuineness to it. Yes. Or you could come up and you could say, "Hey, I notice you're a veteran, and I just want to say thank you so much for for being the kind of person that would stand up and protect our freedoms as Americans, and I appreciate it." Absolutely. And something along those lines, you know? Yeah. Like, I, that would take me back. I'd be like, oh. I know. Okay. I'd be a puddle. I would just cry. Which <laughs> <laughs> is like, oh, my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like, you know, when somebody has a, a death in their family or a sickness in their family, I think a lot of people it's like, I don't even know what to say. You know? So it's, it's a lot of that because I get it all. I mean, you mentioned kind of identity earlier. Like, mm-hmm. I really didn't mention my identity as a veteran much either for a, a number of years until I was – I got to know people through volunteering day for things and then through this podcast. And then over the last couple of years, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to, 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 to be a veteran. Like I, I want to celebrate the fact, like it was a huge part of my life. Huge part. You know, yes. I'm only 37. I served five and a half years. I did two deployments to Iraq. I was in Ecuador. I mean, I did a lot of cool stuff. Um, not as cool as some people, you know, those darn Navy SEALs out there doing their cool stuff. <laughs> I sat in a, in a pickup truck behind an airplane quite a bit. wasn't nearly as cool, but still, like, you do a lot of fun stuff, you know. But at a young age, I was 21 when I joined. You're a young adult. It forms yes. a lot of who you are as an adult at a young age like that. Even five and a half years shapes who you are. Still to this day, like, as organized, organized as I am and the different little things that I do, I'll be like, you know, I understand that. <laughs> Right, you're like, damn it! <laughs> My wife has told me to slow down on eating all the time. She's like, "Are you gonna taste it?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Just shovel it in. Just shovel it in. If you ever come over here with a big old hat on, but you know, it's it's it's, it's who we are, I guess. I know. I think I think we have to, you know, toot our own horns and help other people realize that being a veteran is amazing. And you've got an amazing network. You know, I was I I like to tell women that you have membership to a club that you didn't even know you had. 
use your network, use your membership. Yeah. Well, we got a huge family. We're, I forget the exact, you know, they say the 1%, whatever. I think uh, total veteran population is about 5%, something like that. Last I read, that's not a lot of people. We have a big family, big, crazy, dysfunctional family. Um, but it's also a big network. And what a lot of people don't celebrate and what they should think about when wearing something that identifies you as a veteran is we should be proud of the things that we you know, look at your civilian counterparts. We are far more organized. We show up on time. We're consistent. We are no nonsense. Sometimes we, you know, get stuff done kind of people. Um, we understand rank structure and position and all those different soft skills that you get, the things that you don't put on resumes, right? That sets us apart. The things that frustrate us about civilians that we're like, Oh my God, I can't, I, why do they not get this? Those are skills. They are skills. What employers are looking for the ones that really do care about hiring veterans and value that. So that's, you know, those are the kind of things that we need to be like, don't, don't be afraid of being a veteran. Be proud of it. Like you, 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 you earn skills that, well, if you joined at 18, 19 years old, if all of your friends went to college, did you earn, I mean, we all learn skills at that point that they didn't learn. Oh, yes. I, I truly believe that there are, there are things that I learned that even now I'll go, oh yeah, I did learn that in the military. <laughs> Might as well say, where did that come from? I'm like, oh, I, I think that was a military thing, you know, but just understanding that even when you, you come out of the military, that there are organizations that aren't going to understand what you bring to the table. Because I, I tell this story a lot is that when I first got out of the military, I was going to, you know, project management, man, management, right? Great job. I should be able to just slide right into a job. And I went to an interview and I swear the interviewer was like 12 years old. You know, he had no hair on his face and, and he goes, wow, 20 years. And I go, yeah. And he goes, where's your degree? I said, do you see those 20 years there? <laughs> You're barely 20 years old. You know and that. I, I know, and I did a quick pivot. And that's another thing veterans are, are good at is, okay, A is not working. Let me quick pivot to B and see what's happening. So we have tenacity. We're able to, to, to turn on a dime because we had to in the military sometimes, you know, I, you know, <laughs> you know, if you have a project and they're like, yeah, you got three months to do it. And they come back and go, yeah, it needs to be done by the end of the month. You know, how many times did that happen? And so, you know, we're good at those things, but a lot of civilian organizations don't value those types of things because I don't think they understand what it is we bring to the table. And it's a lot. I, I absolutely agree. And that transition is definitely tough, tough for everybody. And it's, it's a lifelong amount of lessons. But I know there's a lot of issues when it comes to female veterans and transition when it comes to like VA care too. Cause I read statistics somewhere that like one in four women that walk through the doors of a VA. And I have, I have called men out on this before and I'll do it again. One in four women that walk through the doors of a VA are sexually harassed. And That's my challenge to other men is that shit step up. It shouldn't Don't, be that way. It should that. not be that way. You know what I mean? Like that's, back to the big happy family thing, you know, that's, that's big brother saying some inappropriate shit, little sister. Right. You know, like, you know, like you just can't let that happen. And that's just sad, you know, and ever since I learned that I've been a lot more conscious of that walking into my local VA, you know, I love like, that. Where are the women veterans sitting? Like where, what, what is going on? Of course I I've got a small clinic here, so there's not that many people in there, but it's, you know, like, is this stuff happening? You know what I mean? Yes. Because you don't, you don't see it, but you hear it. You know, you're like, wait, what? This is happening? And I still hear about stuff today, and I'm thinking, why does this keep happening? Because, you know, during, you know, um, the whole Vanessa Guillen issue, um, as sad as it is, my husband asked me, he said, did that, did any, 
you know, were you sexually harassed or anything? And I said, no, there was a guy once that, you know, he liked to look over my shoulder when I was typing. And I remember looking back at him and I said, do you want to back up, please? <laughs> you're kind of in my bubble. <laughs> you're, you're in my space. But, um, and I'm sure it, it did happen during my era. It never happened to me. I'm not that I expected it, but it, it's just, it should not be happening. It just should not be happening. I'm just going to put it out there. This should be zero tolerance, zero period. Oh, well, me is like, I, how do, uh, I mean, where's that mindset come from that it's okay to do that? My, I guess my perspective was different. I had a father who was very, if my father would have done something like that, I'd have been surprised. He was just that kind of good guy. But then after he passed away, it was just my mother and my sister and I for a couple of years. And we always had girls that were always hanging out in my group of friends, you know, my buddy's girlfriends and stuff like that. So like spent around a lot of, a lot of time around women. Couldn't possibly imagine saying some of the things that I hear some guys say. I'm like, what kind of household were you brought up in where you think it's okay to talk to people like that? Absolutely. But obviously the kind of household that allowed that type of thing to happen. Uh, generational. I mean, just sexism, racism, like just go down the list. You know, I mean, you know <laughs> All the isms. Uh, <laughs> that's where stuff comes from. It's generational. It definitely is. So it's, it's a shame though, but. Hopefully the next, you know, all it takes is one generation to stop that and then switch that cycle to something more positive. So I think it's happening after these past few days and seeing these women, I'm just like, yeah, this is, yeah, well, we've had, this is badass. <laughs> Vanessa, that got a lot of press and that brought a lot of eyeballs on, on issues, podcasts and, and, television interviews about military sexual trauma and the diff and, and issues, social media in general, even, mm -hmm. I mean, it just brings more eyeballs and awareness to things and, and hopefully things get better. And hopefully next time I talk to you, you'll, you'll tell me that, uh, that you found a, a women veterans day parade or event, right? <laughs> it's like, coming. It's coming. <laughs> I mean, I never heard of anything around here either. Like come to think of it, like why not? I live in a community that's got, we've got active duty coast, small group of active duty coast guard here. We've mm -hmm. got air, uh, air guard, army guard, and we have Navy and Marine Corps reserves. So we've got a large veteran, fairly large veteran community for a small town around here. And I'm like, I don't think we have anything for that, but, uh, all the VSO organizations should put their heads together and, and, uh, figure it out, figure it out. <laughs> I totally agree. Absolutely. So, well, I, Kat, I really appreciate you coming on here and, and uh, talking about some of these veterans, women veteran issues and veteran issues as a whole too, in a lot of ways. So any, any last thoughts or comments? No, thank you so much for allowing me to speak on this. It's, it's my passion. It's my heart to connect with women, whether you're veteran or active duty it's never too early to talk about your transition, but you also want to be smart about it. And, you know, people always ask me, you know, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Should I just jump into being an entrepreneur? And I'll say, get a job that's paying you money first <laughs> and then do your passion on the side. And then when you're making money from your passion, then you can step away. But you can navigate transition. You just need help. And sometimes for women and even veterans in general, asking for help is very, very hard. That it definitely is. So thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Well, for those who are watching it, I got uh, your podcast link scrolling at the bottom. It'll be in the show, show notes too. Uh, thank you. Uh, I've got your email address. Would you like me to put your email address in the, in the show notes too? If anybody want to reach out to you about Maybe being a guest or Absolutely. or resources, any of that stuff. Absolutely. I love having, you know, people telling their story because everyone's story, you know, you talk about transition as a road, but it's a different road for everybody. And so, you know, hearing 
different people's stories. Sometimes you, you say you identify with a particular story and know that this person made it to the other side. And so can you. Absolutely. There's plenty of people have done it before you. There's, there's a pathway. You just got to find the right one. So I will have that in there and I will say, I, I don't, are you still pretty active on clubhouse too? Yes. Active on clubhouse and all the social media, LinkedIn, all of it. I thought I'm sure we're connected on a few of them. Uh, even though we hadn't talked on Clubhouse in a long time, I was, I was pretty into Clubhouse for a little bit, and then, uh, mm -hmm. then yeah, you get I, busy. You get busy, and it's just like you never stop and think. I still get the notifications. I probably have fifteen of them on my phone. Right now for people. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you should uh, definitely go in there if you're on Clubhouse. Go connect with Cat because I know there's been great conversations. Even though it's probably been the better part of the year since I've I've been kind of active on there, but. It's great conversations on all the stuff that is, is going on. And if you're a woman veteran, sometimes maybe that's just what you need is just to have conversation in those smaller, a little bit more intimate settings. There might be 10, 15 people in there. So that'd be some good place to go connect with Kat too. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Keith. This has yeah. been a pleasure. No Absolute pleasure. You uh, don't be a stranger. Absolutely. It was great to meet you virtually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instead of a, a, a clubhouse photo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Kat. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. There you go, folks. If you enjoyed that podcast, remember all the, the links will be in the show notes. You can go check out my website, battlebuddypodcast.net, for all kinds of resources. You know I'm always trying to update that. If you are struggling, the National Suicide Hotline number is 800-273-8255, or you can text 838255.